Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Salvatore Babonis, and joining me today is Professor Bob Catley, a political scientist and former MP, former federal MP for Adelaide. Bob claims to have been, quote, present at the creation of wokeness, and we're going to ask him how everything went so wrong and how we can put it right again. Bob Catley, how are you? I'm pretty good. Just recovered from a little cold. Well, welcome back. Uh, look, I, I don't want to date you, but I know you did your university studies, your PhD, and even started your career as an academic in the 1960s. That's right. How how did you see today's wokeness having emerged from that milieu? Well, essentially, the uh, the pattern of uh, of woke thinking, which is now so dominant among the uh, urban elites of our culture is uh, an update with some uh, the, the big uh, addition uh, being warming in the 1960s it was cooling so the climate is still a catastrophe according to the, the uh, and the, uh, the big change is that the ruling elites, the corporate elites, that is the, the big money guys of Wall Street and the city of London and the, uh, the money markets in Sydney, the, the, the big corporates have taken on board most of the woke. So instead of it being promoted by fringe groups as the new left essentially were in the 1960s, me among them, uh, it's now been promoted by the biggest corporations in the, uh, in the English speaking world, which is quite a change. Well, but aren't those leaders of corporations today simply the students of the 1960s and 1970s? Well, I think that would be one easy explanation, but I don't think that's that's the case. I think what happened was that uh, the, the New Left agenda, uh, which was essentially one about uh, race, about gender, about peace, about anti-Western values, um, about promoting indigenous people, black people, brown people, uh, and with some condemnation of uh, Anglo uh, white culture, uh, that pattern transformed itself during the, uh, the 70s into a, uh, an economic program, and then a left-wing academic uh, economic program. And then with the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1990, the, the left abandoned uh, economic policy in disgrace, of course, because it had proven to be such a failure. And, um, and then with the crash of 2010, 2008, 2010, the corporate boys took on much of the woke agenda. Now, why did they? Well, one explanation would be that they'd all been to university and seen what it looked like. So they, they were persuaded by the, uh, by the essential goodness of the anti-racism, anti-women, anti-whatever uh, program, but I think the the explanation is uh, is more is even more simple than that. That after the great crash of 2008-10, when it looked like capitalism itself was in a bit of trouble, the corporate boys needed to deflect antagonism away from themselves and took on. The, the woke program, which is pro-capitalists. I mean, the, the heroes of, uh, of woke in the media these days are the richest people on the planet. Hmm. So the anti-capitalist nature of the new left in the 1960s got transmogrified over a period of 50 years into a, 
into the same kind of agenda on social issues of equality on race, gender, trans, uh, some climate concerns and so on, but became actually pro-capitalist in a very, uh, in a very uh, important manner. Well, but mightn't that just be a natural progression that, you know, when you're in your 20s, uh, communism sounds like a great idea, <laughs> you know, distribute the wealth. But when you've made it, uh, well, maintaining that system has a lot of appeal uh, and maybe you would want to shift your radicalism or shift your your personal sense of virtue, wanting to think you're a want to think you're a good radical person wanting positive social change. Maybe that does get shifted into issues of sexuality, issues of race, things that are are not anti-systemic because they won't challenge your own position in the system. Well, I think that what you just described may be true of uh, people in universities and people who think that um, uh, ideology is important. But the, the guys that run Wall Street, the City of London and the money markets in Sydney uh, basically are dominated by the need to make a profit on investments that they make. And ideology is a subordinate factor as far as they're concerned, whereas in universities, of course, it's a dominant factor. Because no one would go there who wanted to make a lot of money. Oh, except the vice chancellors, they do quite well. <laughs> but your average academic doesn't make a lot of money, they're in it for thinking. So thought patterns tend to dominate their motivations. But the money boys, they, that's not important to them. It's the, the percentage profitability on capital invested. Now, in 2008 10, there was a systemic crisis in uh, capital formation, to put it crudely which had been caused, uh, or at least occasioned, by the bubble in the, in the American housing market, this is all well known, that then transferred itself into a systemic crisis because there was a bubble in so much else uh, that people started to wonder whether capitalism would survive. I know that sounds strange, ten, even 10 years later. And what emerged was an anti-capitalist left. In, in America, it was the Occupy Wall Street movement but also in the political parties of the left, they started to rethink their acceptance of globalization and to uh, put forward quite radical programs. These were associated in, uh, in Britain, for example, in the Labour Party uh, with Corbyn and, um, and his leadership, and in the United States with, uh, with Saunders, Bernie Saunders, who launched this insurgency within the, uh, the Democrat Party. Now, to head this off, um, it conveniently emerged that there was another kind of radicalism going about, which was rogue radi radicalism, which was accepting of uh, corporate capitalism, although if you quiz them, they'd probably say they weren't, but they didn't campaign against, um, uh, against corporate capitalism and the inequalities which is undoubtedly generated, but they campaigned against uh, racial inequality, gender inequality, the environment, and so on. And over a period from about 2010, 2013, you can see Wall Street moving towards support for these policies. The city of London went the same way. And of course, Turnbull represented this position within the Liberal Party and overturned the, um, the fairly classical conservative Abbott and replaced him by wokeism. So the, the Liberal Party under Turnbull became woke. And the, uh, the, the Conservative Party in Britain eventually became woke under Johnson. And uh, in America, 
the uh, the boys that run the Democrat Party and the money men from Wall Street replaced the uh, Bernie Saunders insurgency, which was a redistributive program, take from the rich, give to the poor sort of stuff, and replaced him with Biden, who essentially is a front man for wokeism in the Democrat Party. So the campaigns of these people are not based on anti-capitalism or anti-wealth or uh, redistribution programs. They're based on um, conflict among ordinary people based on race, gender, uh, religion, and so on. And the demand for equality is a demand not for economic equality, but for equality between people in these different social categories. So that one of the major spokesmen last week for greater equality was, for example, Prince Harry, who you know, outrageously says that he's all in favour of equality. I mean, this, the, the offspring, somewhat alienated temporarily, of the most privileged family on the face of the planet is in favour of greater equality. What does he mean? Well, what he means is more money from Hollywood, uh, less money from the, the British Crown, although his dad's still subsidising him, and a bit more consideration for his poor old wife, who is a little bit coloured. Now, Bob, we are a live show, and the reason for that is we do want to take questions from the audience. And I do have a question from our own uh, On Liberty woke money boy, uh, Anthony. <laughs> Anthony remembers your 2005 book, uh, The Strange, Recent, but Understandable Triumph of Liberalism in Australia. Um, he thinks that you may have been too optimistic. What's your own What's your own retrospective on that? Fair point. Fair point. It was. Um, they were good years for Australia. They were. They, it was a good government with a good treasurer, a nicely conservative uh, prime minister, and a, an export boom be, to provide <coughs> resources and energy for the China market. Uh, the, the Labor Party seemed to be in <coughs> disarray, and things were cruising. That all fell apart in 2007, and then with the, uh, the great crash of 2008-10, we've had to reconsider the whole, uh, the whole situation, and no one would say the uh, liberalism, in a classical sense, is, is triumphant in Australia now, where the Liberal Party has just run up another half a trillion dollars worth of debt, and uh, it is, is forlornly trying to blame the Labor Party for wanting to overspend if it comes to power. And of course, no one takes any notice of this. They're the biggest spendthrift government in the history of Commonwealth. Right. right. But Anthony did actually have a serious question for you that he was... I'm a that answer. <laughs> yes. According to a recent survey from the Australian Institute of Company Directors, climate change is the number one issue we face in Australia. And he's curious, are, are most directors creatures of fashion lacking any real philosophical foundation? And is this perhaps indicative of the their abandonment or society's abandonment of Christianity or indeed of any other uh, philosophical basis for our society. Oh, I don't know if it's got anything to do with the collapse of, of <coughs> Christianity, which took place a while ago. The 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 after the two thousand and ten crash, which I <coughs> keep coming back to. The, uh, the money markets were concerned that there wasn't sufficient opportunity for capital investment profitably to be undertaken. That was, that was the basic issue facing, facing the country. One of the resolutions was for governments to spend a whole lot of money, which both Labor and Liberal governments did in this country and elsewhere. 
So government debt was one way of dealing with it. Uh, another way was to pour money into the third world and try and get stagnant third world economies like India and Pakistan and those kind of joints moving so that the money boys could invest in those countries. And some of that uh, was taking place, but very slowly. Uh, and then along came this idea of global warming. And global warming is, is a, you know, who believes in it? I don't know. Uh, that's by the by. Global warming offered the opportunity to not only transfer money into third world economies and stimulate them, but also industries to be transferred from first world countries to third world countries. That means new investment, new profitability, cheap labor, and so on. Mm -hmm. And uh, further to that, the domestic economies of, of first world countries, including Australia, would need to be uh, restructured in a very fundamental way in order to meet the supposed challenge of global warming. That is, windmills all over the place, people putting stuff on their roofs like me <coughs> to provide cheaper electricity uh, with government subsidies. So the opportunities for profitable investment re-emerged in this transitional economy. So these things came together, you may recall, in the Paris Agreement of 2015, which didn't quite come off, but the components were there. What were they? Transfer industry to the third world, more money, uh, cheaper. Uh, secondly, uh, government subsidy in the form of aid, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of money going into third world economies to get them growing. And thirdly, a reorganization of the energy market and associated industries in Australia. Good. Hmm. Look, I'd like to get back and kind of recenter the discussion around where did the current cultural climate come from? How did we get here? And, and actually, I have a question from Chris. Is wokeism, quote unquote, simply a product of affluence taken for granted? Well, the agenda of the new left in the uh, in the 1960s is essentially the, the woke agenda. Okay. Uh, minus the anti-capitalism, plus the corporate subsidies. That, that's basically what it is. Um, the anti-worker uh, posture of, of, of the wokeists, and, and they are anti-worker. The, the, the chief okay. uh, obstacle to the undertaking of, of the woke agenda is the existing working class in America, in Britain, and in Australia, which are the core of the, right. of the West. Uh, the, the obstacle to, to wokeism is people like me, older, uh, white, male workers who've undertaken the... Well, but a, a former university administrator. <laughs> so working class is a bit... Uh, oh, you're referring, threat, isn't it? you're referring to me? Yes, yes. Uh, well, I'm retired now. You know, <laughs> I don't know sound as though I'm... Uh, I'm in favour of whatever nonsense the uh, the female dean comes up uh, after a weekend of <laughs> walking around vineyards. I can tell her to get stuffed. But so I guess I'm what able to, I'm able to adopt uh, the the posture of a white working class male, which is where I started and where I've finished. And we're the main obstacle. And that that was recognised in the 1960s, not by all the new left, but Herbert Marcuse was the the major advocate of the working class being the obstacle to social change which is, contra you, you referred to Marx earlier on, all this stuff is, is totally alien to Marx's thought. Marx, Marx's basic idea was the idea of surplus value. The capitalist class extracting value from the working class by exploiting them and extracting surplus value, which they converted into profit. Now, that, is, that has no 
part whatsoever in the woke ideology. Otherwise, Elon Musk wouldn't be going along with it, and Apple and Hollywood and the rest of the rich people wouldn't be propagating that as their... Uh, 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 they wouldn't be propagating wokeism as their basic ideology because it's Marxism was a critique of that. So the, the idea of cultural Marxism is a kind of um, oxymoron, I suppose, to use an old-fashioned word. Right. Now, the old left wanted to speak for the working class. I think that was a lot of the, the motivation behind their embrace of Marxism it was an opportunity to have a someone you could speak for. Increasingly, right. of course, in a liberal society, everyone can speak for themselves. There seems to have been this transition from wanting to speak for the working class to wanting to speak for minorities, and then later to wanting to speak specifically for sexual minorities or racial minorities. I mean, is the, is the common thread here simply intellectuals wanting to speak for someone else? Well, there's some of that, but there's there's two things going on. Uh, one is that the New Left agenda was adopted and won over universities in the 70s, 80s and 90s, so that universities became woke. There's, there's no question about that. This is, uh, this is common knowledge. The universities were the, were the cutting edge of wokeism. But they were a minority, and a lot of people like Keating took it up, uh, and there were different uh, spokespeople from the uh, left-wing parties that took it up. It was a minority position. It only became a dominant ideology after the 2010 crash where the, the corporate elites took it up. That's, that was the big difference. So I asked myself, and I keep coming back to this, why would they do that? And they did it essentially to head off the other left, which was redistributive. I mean, during this process, the incomes of the uh, American working class, which have suffered most during this process, has declined. It hasn't gone up since the 1970s. You sound like an American. You may know the figures better than I do. The American working class incomes have been stagnant for the last 50 years. Right. <laughs> In Britain, in Britain, that's the case um, for about the last 20 years. And in Australia, because of the mineral wealth we've enjoyed, uh, which is presently under attack by the wokists, um, the income of working class people has been stagnant for about 10 years. So the people who have not benefited from this process are the workers. And the wokesters haven't made much effort, although I, notice, uh, I, I do notice that my old antagonist, um, Albo is now taking up the workers' cause, and good for him. He might win the election with it, as things are looking. Uh, the the left-wing parties have been fascinated with trans, with uh, gender equality, with racial equality, with looking after the Islams, with whatever issue they can think of other than the issue of class. And during that period of, of 10 years since they've taken up wokeism, uh, the, the left has declined <coughs> both... The classical left, the Marxist left, the working class oriented left has declined not only politically in the representative forums of parliaments and congresses, but it's, it's also declined in the sense that trade unionism among working class people has collapsed. Right. Hmm. So there's been a transformation of uh, the political spectrum from left-right, based on class and economics, right. to wokeism and 
and that's more difficult to define. The, the chief agency of wokeism in this country is the New South Wales Liberal Party branch. That's where the, that's, that's where you get most woke. That's where, you get, that's where you get wealthy people advocating against climate change. The climate change right. catastrophe. I look out the window, I'm waiting for it. And um, that's the Turnbull wing of the New South Wales Liberal Party is right. the chief agency of woke. Hmm. One of our viewers, Benjamin, points out that many directors of publicly listed companies today have little experience of starting and running a business and thus are more inclined to be influenced by non-commercial or non-profit motivated considerations. He suggests that commercial or big business wokeism comes from the universities because it's those university students who become the marketing personnel, the the human resources departments, they staff the corporate, the modern corporation, and they steer it towards their own ideological point of view. Would you uh, agree with that assessment? Of course, is, is dead right. That the people are trained in the universities, go into the corporates, and then the corporates set up uh, <coughs> whatever they call it, the uh, diversity unit or the uh, equality unit or whatever Prince Harry called it last week. The point being that 20 years ago, they would have had um, human resources departments or industrial relations departments for dealing with organised labour through their representation in trade unions. So the conflict would have been essentially between the capital and the management of capital by the corporate management and the workers in that enterprise. Now, they've transformed that into who cares about the class conflict and they've transformed it into... Has the latest black trans lady been properly dealt with on the sports field over the weekend? Bob Catley, can you define a woman? Uh, well, I've always found it quite easy. That's over a long period of, of having to ensure that I'm in the right area. And I've usually managed it very effectively. So, yes, I do know what a woman is. <laughs> in uh, So... We often hear the term cultural Marxism thrown around for what you're describing. We've had a transition from you know, the economic Marxism of Karl Marx to a new cultural Marxism. Do you see any logic in that terminology? I think the right has, uh, has erroneously taken up uh, a slogan that the present wokesters are cultural Marxists. Now, as I said, that's an oxymoron. The, 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 uh, Culture for Marx was a lesser interest than the extraction of surplus value by economic means. That was his essential interest in life and how the people <coughs> that owned capital then took over the political state, the political apparatus, and also the cultural apparatus. So, But these were dependent on the means of extracting surplus value from the subordinate labouring population. That was Marx. Now, the right has now identified, for polemical purposes, the wokesters as cultural Marxists, and they're not. They're, they are um, agents of the extreme opposite. They're agents of capital, in my view. Now, uh, I Chris suggests that they're elitists. Well, of course they are, they're, they're, but elite based on wealth. I mean, you have this extraordinary situation <clears throat> where the major proponents of wokeism are standing in this election in the safest liberal and richest seats in the country. 
because that is where their natural support base is to be found. There's no wokester standing in Port Adelaide, which is where I live, which they've happily or unhappily renamed Hindmarsh, but this is the safest Labor seat in South Australia and was for years the safest Labor seat in the country. There's no wokesters around here. This is, this is a hardcore Labor territory. All right. So you, you've diagnosed the problem. We're running out of time. Uh, in two minutes, what do we do? Well, I don't have any solution to this problem, and it's not something I've uh, spent a lot of time thinking about. I've, I watched the evolution. Now, where it goes from here is, uh, is is very hard to tell. At the moment, it looks like Labor will get elected in in Australia with with a bloke who, whatever his other deficiencies, and they are many, he does retain uh, some of the old left considerations of class, which is why, no doubt, he supported an increase in the, in the minimum wage, which I'm very much in favour of myself. I can't see why everybody else should make huge amounts of money out of capital gain on their properties and the very poor who are existing on the basic wage should be denied even an increase which would still be less than the rate of inflation. So good for Albo. He's uh, <laughs> not the most attractive politician I've come across and when I knew him back in the, in the 80s, I, I felt much the same. But he may have struck a bit of good luck here and, and get himself home. And, of course, ScoMo has been impeded throughout by the wokesters who run the New South Wales Liberal Party. And, uh, and he's going to pay the price for not going along with them. And until they resolve that within the New South Wales branch of the Liberal Party, it's hard to see what, what they can do. Now, in the United States, I think the, the corporate elite will remain triumphant. It's good for them. They're making huge amounts of money out of woke globalisation, and they love it. And in the United Kingdom, well, Johnson's in all sorts of trouble, and I'm in no position to do, but whatever he does looks as though it'll be bad for him. Uh, Bob Catley, we're out of time, but thank you very much for joining us it's today. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much, Salvatore. Thanks also to our producer, Nico Malian. The director of the Center for Independent Studies is Tom Switzer. I'm Salvatore Rabonis. Thank you for watching On Liberty.